Welcome to St. James. It's good to see you guys. Welcome to everybody who's uh, watching on the live stream too. Glad that you guys are here with us as well. 
I just have a couple of quick, quick announcements about the schedule, and then uh, Stacy's going to come and share some stuff about um, Operation Christmas Box. Everything is on schedule for today, youth confirmation, after class, or after class, it's a teacher and me coming out, after worship this morning, and then um, prayer meeting at 5.30, you're more than welcome to come to that, 6.30, uh, new members class, we're still talking just a little bit about uh, baptism and what it means, if you're interested in that at all, you're more than welcome to show up. Three Bible studies this week. There's a ladies' Bible study Saturday morning at 9. There's a men's Bible study Tuesday morning at 6.30. And then there's a screw tape letters study on Wednesday evenings at 7. That's on Zoom. If you're interested in C.S. Lewis, get a hold of me, and I can get you a link to that. Okay, Stacy. Hi, good morning. It's that time of year again, Operation Christmas Child. We have a bunch of boxes in the foyer this morning. Our youth group was busy assembling these on Tuesday night. We have about 200, so take as many as you want, fill them up, bring them back. They're due back by Sunday, November 14th. That's just three weeks from today. I have these flyers out back that can help guide you on what to pack, what to put in there, what not to put in there. Um, they like, you know, that one wow item, a good stuffed animal or something like that, a ball deflated, of course, has to fit in the box. Uh, don't put any food in there or any liquids, toothpaste, stuff like that. If you have any kiddos in your house that are going to help you pack your box, we have these fun sheets that are kind of all about me. The kids love getting letters. They love seeing photos from who sent their box. It really helps connect that gift. So pick up a, bit, a box on your way out and bring them back by the 14th. Thank you. All right, stand with me if you will, and then let me open us up in prayer, and then we'll continue in worship. Father, we come to you this morning, uh, all of us wanting something. We want some sort of goal. We want some sort of uh, purpose and meaning, and you tell us that, that, that we can find that in you. And Father, we just desperately need, because there's so many things that scare us away from that, uh, fear of loss, uh, fear of hopelessness, the shame that we have that we always bring to the table. Father, we desperately need to hear your voice. We need you to call us by name, to call us on this mission, to join us up with your son, Jesus. Father, be with us this morning uh, as we read your word, as we think about your word, as we sing praises to you, as we receive your good gifts in the sacrament. Give yourself to us. That's what we desperately need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God. O oh Lord, merciful Father, you keep covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. We confess that we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We have not heeded your law, nor have we rejoiced in your gospel. We confess that things have fallen apart. But Lord, you keep covenant even when we do not. Your love is steadfast when ours is frail and fallible. You are faithful even when we are faithless. We want you to be our God, and we want to be your covenant people. Grant us the gift of faith. By your Holy Spirit, work in us steadfastness and singleness of heart, that we might manifest your love in the keeping of your commandments and the living of your gospel. 
O Lord, merciful Father, hear our prayers in the name of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new and eternal covenant, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God, sent not the, for God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn. Continue that prayer in the psalm. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. 
The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah chapter 31. This is a new covenant text. What's happening in Jeremiah 31 is God is promising his people who are exiled in Babylon that I'm going to take you back home and I'm going to go in front of you. I'm going to return home to my house in Zion and I'm going to bring you back out of Babylon with me. Thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor. Together a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come and with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Continuing on in our, we've been reading through Hebrews, not consecutively, but uh, here and there in Hebrews. And continuing on, uh, what's going on here in the text today is that the way that God dealt with his people before Jesus in the Old Testament is being contrasted with the way that God deals with this now in the New Testament, after Jesus, I should say. The former priests in the Old Testament were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They died, so there had to be a lot of them so that when one died, there'd be another one to replace them. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those Old Testament high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, Old Testament high priest. But the word of the oath, the word of the promise, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh 
gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark chapter 10. And they came to Jericho, and as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So we've been working our way through Mark, of course, this summer, ever since uh, Pentecost started. And Mark is all about discipleship. Mark is all about the kingdom life. And what does it mean? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Jesus person? And look, so you guys who have been reading Mark with me for the past several months, you're well aware by now that there's nothing in here about like, well, if you subscribe to these five key facts about Jesus that you can say, I know that's true, then you're good to go. It's actually much more radical than that. Jesus wants followers. He doesn't want subscribers. He wants followers. And we've seen this before, and we've seen all throughout the stories that we've been reading And they all sort of connect together, and you can see these themes starting to develop, hopefully by now, that there are people who struggle to get what it means to be a Jesus person, and it's it's the people that you 
would hope that would be able to get it. Like these are the people who should get it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they consistently don't get it. And so we've seen over the course of the summer that the rich don't get it. That people who have money, the rich young ruler, we saw this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he, Jesus, he, he likes Jesus. Uh, he bows down at Jesus' feet. In some sense, he believes in Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, you're there. You're right there. You just need one thing. Like give up the thing that's closest to your heart and let me be the thing that's closest to your heart. And the kid can't do it. Because money, and then they had, he has a, the, the week after that, they have that great conversation, Jesus and his disciples, about how hard it is for people with money to be close to Jesus. Because the money is always there, always there whispering, I actually can take you better care, I can take better care of you than that guy. I can make you happier than that guy can. And it's, it's extremely difficult. Religious people, especially religious leaders, we've seen several times in the past several months that the Pharisees come up and challenge Jesus, whether it's arguing with his disciples, whether it's demanding that Jesus gives them signs to prove that he's worthy of their acceptance. The religious people, the people who know the Bible the best, the people who subscribe to the Bible, the people who claim to be Bible followers and Bible people are the people who abandon Jesus. Sometimes it's the powerful. It could be the Herodians that Jesus busts. It could be the Sadducees. The rich young ruler himself is a guy with political power. He's a leader in his town. Unfortunately, also, the disciples are frequently the guys who don't get it. The people who are closest to Jesus themselves are the people. Like you, so I highly recommend this. Find an audio recording of the Gospel of Mark. You can find those online. Take you about an hour and a half to listen to it straight through. You'll be shocked at how hard Jesus is on the disciples and how discouraged he is by their lack of faith. They just don't get it. And we've been seeing consistently people not getting it. And so, I'm just, so the, the, our reading today is the end of a section. The end of Mark 10. It's the end of like this middle chunk that's about discipleship and the kingdom life. We're not going to read this next week. We're not going to go into Mark 11 next week because we already read this back, um, back in February. But Mark 11, the very next text after this, is the triumphal entry. And so Jesus' pathway to Jerusalem and the lessons about the kingdom and the discipleship that have, that have come along on this pathway have reached their climax next week. But before we get there, Mark is going to give us one final story of the guy who finally gets it. There's two people, and there's several people, but the Syrophoenician woman, outsider, the blind guy today, Bartimaeus, outsider, the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, outsider. It's the outsiders who consistently get what it means to be Jesus' people. One of the reasons is they don't have anything to lose. They're outsiders. And this story of, of Bartimaeus, Mark is giving us this final story to say, okay, I've showed you all these stories about how all these people don't get what it means to be a Jesus person. Finally, I'm going to show you, right here at the end, I'm going to show you a guy who does get it. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at this phrase here in verse 49, where uh, Jesus stops and tells the people to calm, and they call the blind man, and they say to him, uh, three sentences here, these are going to be the three points from the sermon. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And encapsulated in this, uh, these three sentences, these three uh, sayings here, is really, really good lessons on what does it mean from Bartimaeus and from everybody else in the story, what does it mean to be a Jesus person? What does it mean to be a legit disciple of Jesus Christ? What does God want from people who are his kids? So I'm not going to do this in order. I'm not, so uh, uh, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Let's start with he's calling you. And I want to make the point from this phrase he's calling you that discipleship is a matter of hearing Jesus. Discipleship is about hearing Jesus' voice. 
So this implies that there's a few things that aren't at the heart of discipleship. Uh, things that you can do that are Christian-y things where you don't hear his voice. Things that you can do that are Christian-y things which you actually use to prevent yourself from hearing his voice. Bartimaeus, it's super important here. But the word call shows up like, what is it, three or four times in the space of a couple of verses here. Bartimaeus hears the call of Jesus. Look, this is, this is a really wonderful doctrine in the Bible. Is the doctrine of God calling. The doctrine of God calling. It's super beautiful and super encouraging. There's two different ways that the Bible talks about, as roughly two different ways the Bible talks about God calling. And one is in this broad, universal sense. Like, whoever wants to come can come. Like, Jesus wants everybody to repent and believe in him and become a follower of his. And he offers this universal call to all people as part of the church's mission is just to say to anybody who, can, who has ears to hear, whether they believe or not, like, Jesus is Lord of the universe. You should get on board with this. And Jesus wants this message to go everywhere. He wants everybody to hear this, right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is for everybody. This call is expansive. I think that my sermons frequently have this effect. This is one of my goals in the sermons, because I, I can't control anything else, is just to say to everybody in the room, Jesus is Lord. To say to everybody in the room, Jesus is Lord. Now, what happens in your heart and in my heart when those words get thrown out into the atmosphere and they vibrate through the air and bounce into your eardrums and your brain picks up the signals and interpret them and then let's pray that the Holy Spirit uses those words in our brain to transform our... That's, I can't control the, the, the back half of that. What I can do is just say it out loud. So sermons are super important because you need to hear this. But honestly, in sermons, I'm not actually talking to anybody specifically. In fact, I try super hard not to do that. Like if I talk to somebody throughout the week about some sort of counseling issue or life issue, like I make it an intentional point not to like build my sermon around that person's personal problem, you know. I don't want to speak to anybody specifically. I want to speak to all of us. However, we need to be spoken to specifically. So there's a second element of this call in the Bible, and that is an individual call where God, by his Holy Spirit, speaks to you. And, and right now, I, I can't do this because I'm only one person and I've only got one pointer finger, but I'm trying to let like, you, every single one of you, and me, God is calling you right now through his word. And when God calls you and you hear that call, you will come to him. My sheep hear my, my voice, and they, follow, they, know, they know me, and they follow me. This is the way Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 1. You've heard me reference this verse before. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So Paul says, I preach Jesus, and the, uh, the, the Jews don't get it because they're looking for political power to overcome the Roman Empire, and there's absolutely zero political power in a dead construction order, right? The, the, the Greeks, they want like philosophical wisdom. And they hear the gospel, and to them, like, how can a crucified construction worker even come close to plumbing the depths of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates? It just can't. Nobody wants this. But for those of you who you hear the gospel, and it hits your eardrums, and it vibrates, and it goes into your brain, and the Holy Spirit grabs it, and you hear him say, whoever your name is, you are my child. I am calling you by name. You are going to be mine for you, it's a different story. And here's how Paul describes this. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those, and now you think he's going to say, but to those 
who believe in Jesus, or maybe even more, more, more crassly, to those who decide to believe in Jesus? He doesn't say that. He says, to those who are called, to those who hear the call. Like, not, not this, we've all heard the global universal call, come to me all who are weary. But when you hear that individual call to you, that transforms your life. To those of us who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Bartimaeus heard that call. Call him. Jesus calls everybody. But in that moment, he called Bartimaeus. And right now in this moment, he's calling you. Do not hide in the crowd. Like, do not be like, oh, Aaron's pointing at everybody. I'm not trying to. I've only got one finger, like I said. He is calling you. Now, sometimes you get called by just a general, like just a call from anybody. And you can like turn it off. There's different reasons why you'll get a call. Think of like a phone call or a message on social media. There are several different reasons why you would get a call from somebody and you would be like, I'm done. Like, I, I, don't, I, I need to avoid that. One is if you think it's not important. If you get a call and it's not important. Like if in your neighborhood, like on the, you know, the, 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 the neighborhood social media page, somebody posts, hey, we need to post decorations for some holiday that you're not interested in. Like decorations for Arbor Day at the neighborhood entrance. You can be like, I'm just going to ignore that. Because you're not really interested in that, right? It's not that important, and so you can turn it off. Now, if it is important, if it's something that you are interested in, then you can be like, okay, I'm into that. I'll, I'll answer that call, and I'll let, let them know I'll be there to help. If it doesn't, if it's not interesting to you, you won't answer it. If it doesn't have any benefit to you, you won't answer it either. And, but by the way, so th this is not a sermon about selfishness. I'm not trying to make a point about and you should answer those calls because it doesn't matter what you feel. That, that's just, I'm just talking about the human tendency. To, if it's something that affects us, like I'm going to be much more engaged. Right? Like if, I, if, if I see on social media that there's a house fire on the other side of Edwardsville, like I'll probably check it out. I might look on the intelligencer tonight to see if it was any you know, news about that or anything. But I'm going to be way less engaged with that sort of call than if my neighbor says, hey, my house is on fire and the wind is blowing your way, so you better get out. That's going to much more engage me because it actually affects me personally, right? So the news, the calls that affect us, that have benefit to us, they're, they're much more like, we're much more apt to say, okay, I need to respond to that. Personal calls. Here's the third way that you'll respond to a call, personal. Anybody who's ever been involved in a, you know, a church or an HOA or a business or some sort of like community group or a club or something, you know that personal calls are much more powerful than general calls. Like I could say this, this is not an announcement, by the way. It's just an example. I could say, okay, so, we, so next, next Saturday in the morning, we're going to gather here. We're going to do some yard work at the church. Whoever can come, um, like, pl please show up. There's going to be a certain amount of you that are going to come. But everybody knows this is true. I can get more people to come if I come to people individually and say, hey, do you mind coming Saturday morning and helping out? We're going to do this yard group thing, and I t you could totally help us out. You'll get way more people if, if it's like a personal call, right? All right. If you're not responding to the voice of Jesus, I'm not asking do you subscribe to the small catechism. I'm not really interested in that right now. If you're not responding personally to the voice of Jesus, I think it's probably one of these three cases. You either don't think it's that important. That sounded harsh. You don't sense the importance of it. And we all don't sometimes, okay? Like there's all time, there, there are lots of times when you hear Jesus' voice and you're like, well, I can put that off. You don't sense that it affects you enough, that there's enough benefit into you, or you don't sense the personalness of it. It's totally possible to live in a church context and be like, 
Yes, Jesus stuff is happening here. But when you hear God calling, you personally, you'll respond. And that's where Bartimaeus is at. Okay, I want you to do that. I want you to respond to the personal call of Jesus that he's calling you right now. So pro tip, and then we're going to move on to the next point. Like I said, I think that sermons, all I can do is make this sort of general call, and then we all rely upon the Holy Spirit to take the call of God's word and individually call us. And I'm cool with that if you're cool with that. But if you want deeper, more intimate access to the possibility of hearing Jesus' voice personally, can I offer you a couple of other options? You need to be in the Bible daily yourself. You, as an individual, need to be individually hearing Jesus' voice daily. Like, be in God's Word. Like, I, I, I can't say this like, more clearly. Like, honestly, we could just blow off the rest of the sermon, or I could tell all my favorite jokes. And if all you heard was be in the Bible every day, it would be a win for all of us. And, and, and did it. Second thing, pro tip for this, be in community. It's, I, I know it's super possible to sit in the middle of a sanctuary and hear the gospel and just kind of let it flow over your head, over the waves of everybody that you're sitting next to. But if you're in a community group or you're in youth group or you're in one of the Bible studies or you're sitting around with your wife or your kids and you're talking about the Bible and somebody looks at you and says, God loves me, God loves you. That's way more personal. And some of you sense a gap between you and God. And one of the reasons is you're not in community. You don't have Christian community that's feeding you the reality of Christ crucified and risen for you. Get it. Go get it. It's not good enough to just pop in on Sunday mornings and pop out. It's not going to cut it. It's vital. You can't skip it, but it's not enough. More on that later. More on what it means to be a disciple and to walk the road later. Okay, second thing. So first of all, discipleship is hearing Jesus. Second of all, discipleship is trusting Jesus. Take heart, these people say to, the, to, to, to Bartimaeus. Take heart. Now we're going to have to circle a little bit and then come back to what taking heart has to do with trusting Jesus. But before we get to that, we have to talk about before, before Bartimaeus can take heart, he has to not take heart. Before Bartimaeus can be encouraged, before he can be encouraged, He's got to be to the point of desperation. And here we're going to get to the, like the psalm we read this morning and a couple of the hymns that we all sang this morning. There's two parts to, Bartim to Bartimaeus taking heart. There's two parts to Bartimaeus trusting in Jesus to being a real disciple. And the first part is he asks for help. Bartimaeus asks for help. And now there's two parts of this, all right? So asking for help, first of all, involves repentance. Look at verse 47. When Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He's repenting. That's what it means to ask for mercy. Do, do you, okay, here's a quick, if you're taking notes, this might be helpful right now. Here's a quick biblical definition of mercy. Mercy is the withholding of something bad that we deserve. Mercy is the withholding of something bad that we deserve, right? I mean, it's kind of the flip side of grace, which is getting something good that we don't deserve. Mercy is the withholding of something bad that we do deserve. Like if, if, you're, if, you know, if you're at court and you appear before the judge and you're like, you know what, I'm like a horrible person and the judge decides to have mercy on you, what's happening there is that you're actually guilty, but the judge is deciding not to give you the punishment that normally would be due for what you're guilty of, right? And here's what's happening. Bartimaeus is asking for mercy. Bartimaeus is like, I'm blind 
and at least partially that's my fault. Right? Now we know from John chapter 9 that people aren't necessarily born blind because of individual sin that they committed. Jesus says that. But Bartimaeus does know that part of my blindness is the brokenness of the world that we live in, the fallenness of living in a sinful world, which I myself contribute to. Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Look, if you go to your boss, here's, a, here's an example. If you go to your boss and you ask for a raise and you say, hey, look, this, this past year, I worked real hard. I felt like I put in a ton of effort. I feel like my skill levels have been advancing. And I, think it, like, I, I, I th- totally think it's appropriate for me to ask you for a raise this year. And, and if your boss, if she or he says to you, hey, honestly, I'm not seeing it. Like, it seemed to me like you're really lazy. And like, you didn't do a whole lot this year. And honestly, I didn't get any, like we had like some, some seminars or some work sessions afterwards to work on new skills. You didn't show up at any of those. It didn't seem like you advanced at all. Honestly, maybe next year, but this year you can't get a raise. You, okay, some of you have been in that position. You would be hurt. And, and I, I don't just mean that you would be like, you're wrong. I deserve this. You would actually be offended. You would be offended. Why? Because your personal character and intelligence and work ethic was being indicted. You would, be, you would actually be offended. Sometimes, well, me, this is me, I'm talking to me, me right now. We pray and we say, God, can you do this for me? And then he doesn't do it. And we're offended. Or at least we're like, well, God, I prayed. Where are you at? Do you even care? Can you even hear me? Are you even interested in me? Why would I say, why would I act like that towards God? And he knows I do it all the time. The reason why is because I honestly think I've earned the raise. And when he says to me, you know what, Aaron? It's not been a great year for you. I'm offended. It would be better to go to the boss in this analogy. I'm not saying do this at your own job, please. It'd be better to go to the boss and say, look, I'm lazy. I know I cost the company money. I know that I'm late to work three out of five days in the week. I'm begging you for mercy. Can I please have a raise? And if the boss said no, I would be like, I get it. And if the boss said yes, I would receive it with gratefulness. Look, what, what has Bartimaeus done wrong to be blind? We, we don't, we, we're not privy to anything about Bartimaeus' life besides when he shows up in this story here. But Bartimaeus knows enough that when Jesus comes along, he begs for mercy. All of Christian life is repentance. You have a problem at your job. You have a problem with your health. You have a problem with your neighbors. Do not start off by like, God, you, you need to fix this. You know that like, I don't deserve this. We need to start off with, all of our prayer life needs to start off with, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Bartimaeus starts off with repentance. Second thing he does is, in terms of asking for help is, look, look what he does. He focuses on the foundational problem. He goes right to the heart of what he needs. Verse 51, uh, Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And he says to him, Rabbi, let me, recover, let me recover my sight. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Do you think that's a weird question? Like this blind man stands up and walks up to Jesus and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't it obvious? I actually don't think it is that obvious though. What are the, what are the things that Bartimaeus could have said? Look, so think about Bartimaeus. What skills does he have? 
What life, do you think he has any hope for a life after blindness? Probably not. The only skill he has, the only money-making tool that he has is his own blindness. That's how he makes money. Beyond that, he really doesn't have anything. It's totally possible that Bartimaeus would, would, would say to Jesus, hey, can you help me out? Like, it's been a slow week. All these Passover pilgrims have been saving up money to get up to Jerusalem, and they're not being really generous. Like, can you help me out? I know that you've got several women who are wealthy with you. I know that several of your disciples have money and they support you. Like, just do me a solid and give me a little bit extra. He totally could have asked for that. That would have, that would have been a total expectant response, I would think. He could have asked for spiritual help. He could have said, hey, Jesus, like everybody who walks by here thinks nothing of me. Like, I'm a complete outcast. I don't have any skills to offer anybody. I sit here, and if they feel like giving me money, they do. And if they don't, I go hungry. Like, can you help me with my bitter attitude towards them? And, and, and please, maybe could you help them look on me with more loving kindness? He could have prayed for something spiritually. He could have prayed for future healing. He could have said, Jesus, could you, when you come in your kingdom, could you give me sight back? All of that would have been peripheral. Other people's attitude towards him. His own attitude about himself, peripheral. His need for money, peripheral. The future, peripheral. What he knows right now is, I'm a broken sinner, I need mercy, and I'm a blind guy. I want my sight back. And he goes to Jesus, and he says, this is the problem. Could you help me out with this? The problem, we see this all throughout this, uh, throughout the gospel of Mark, is that people ask Jesus for things. And they always ask Jesus for things. And because so think about any time in the gospel of Mark, when people ask Jesus for things and he doesn't give it to them. If somebody comes to Jesus and says, I need this, he always gives it to them. Except for, there's a couple times when he doesn't. And that's when, he, when Jesus knows what they really want and they think that the surface thing is going to give it to them. And Jesus says, no, I actually want to give you something better than that. So just one example, the rich young ruler, right? He's got money. He loves money. He also loves Jesus, and he wants to follow Jesus, and he's weighing, should I, be a, you know, should I stay with the money, or should I give up my money and follow Jesus? And Jesus doesn't say, look, I can't help you. You just got to give up the money and come with me. Jesus says, hey, listen, I promise you this. If you give up all that money that you have in your bank account, which honestly, I've traveled a lot around here, you're just another local town muckety-muck. But if you're willing to give that up, I will give you all the money that God has. He says, I will give you the treasures of heaven. And the guy, so what does the guy want? What is it, any of you who want money, any of us who want money, what is it that we want? We want control. If you have money, you can sort of make decisions. You want security. If I've got money, I know that like if my car gets a flat tire, I'm cool. Uh, you want respectability. We know, especially in all cultures, in our culture too, that having a certain amount of money has respectability. I'm, now I'm, re, I'm repreaching the sermon from last week at this point. Jesus says, all those things that you want, I can actually give you, but if you insist on holding on to money, you can't have it. You're going to lose all of that. Let me give you the treasures of heaven. Jesus always answers the prayers that you, anything you ask in Jesus' name, he will give it to you. It might not always look like what you think it's going to look like but it will be the thing that you really, really long for. I read something, uh, I'm going to slide away from my notes just for a second here. I read something that Alec Matier uh, wrote recently. He's an Old Testament um, a theologian, com commentary. He says this, why doesn't God just give you everything that you ask for 
That's what we do. Like we, we want to pray and ask God. All of us do this. We all pray and ask God and then say, God, can you give me this thing? And he doesn't always give us this thing. And, and, and Alec Matier asked this question. Do you really want that? What if you had, what if you had the genie in the bottle and the three wishes you wished for would instantly come true? Do you really want that? Have you ever been cut off, cut, cut off in traffic and thought, I wish something bad would happen to that person? Have you, ever had a, have you ever had an argument with an immediate family member or a friend and immediately wished something bad to happen? Do you want God-like power? Do you want whatever you want to come true? Have you ever longed for something to happen, and then when it happened, you were like, oh, bad idea. This was bad. It's, I, I, every, every, almost every meal I order at a restaurant, I'm like, oh, I should have got some." Do you really? Do, do, I can't even order a burger and get the right one. Do I want God-like powers? Or is it better to say, Lord, have mercy. Give me my sight back. You do whatever you want. That's what you really want. Don't you want God to be God? Don't you know enough of yourself that you, don't, that you wish that you weren't God? That's where Bartimaeus is at. Are you glad that you're not God? Bartimaeus is there. Lord, have mercy. Being a disciple of Jesus means believing in Jesus. Okay, so this is the negative stuff. Let's do the, so what does this mean for faith? Well, he tells them, take heart. Take heart. You've begged for mercy. Take heart. Don't be afraid. Jesus says, take heart quite a bit. I'm going to give you a few examples to talk about what this, what this word means. In chapter 8, verse uh, 50, uh, the disciples are, are in a storm on the sea. They're scared they're going to drown. Jesus comes to them on the water and says, take heart, it's me. Don't be afraid. Take heart, don't be afraid. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm telling you all these things that you might have peace, that you won't be scared, that you're going to be destroyed by the world. Take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus heals a man who's paralyzed. And he says to him, take heart, your sins are forgiven. You come in here and one of your fears is that you have guilt before God. Take heart, I'm going to forgive your sins. A few verses later, Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus heals um, a woman who's had a flow of blood and has been outside of, the, um, outside of the community for 10 years, 12 years, because she's had this sickness, which is prohibited from coming to t Tabernacle and to market. She goes to Jesus, Jesus heals her, and Jesus says, take heart, you've been healed. Jesus says, take heart to people, because here's what he means. Take heart, I've got this. Like, be encouraged. I've got this. Take heart, Bartimaeus. It's okay. I can handle this. When we don't take heart, when we're afraid, when we're without joy, it's because we, don't th we think that things are out of control. And Jesus says, take heart. I've got this. I can actually heal people with chronic diseases. I can actually calm storms. I can actually forgive sins. I can actually raise the dead. I can actually give you your sight back. Take heart. This is the backside of faith. Repentance, bringing our problems to God, should lead to this taking heart because he's got it under control and he always answers our prayers. Take heart. Jesus gives us what he asks for. Last thing and then we'll be done. Discipleship is hearing Jesus. Discipleship is trusting Jesus. That's the take heart bit. And discipleship is following Jesus. Get up. Discipleship is following Jesus. They tell Bartimaeus to get up, which he does. He throws off his cloak. He springs up. It's vivid in Greek as it is in English. Like he jumps up. We see this frequently. I, I, again, I'm gonna, I, I didn't do this in the first service. I'll give you guys a little commercial here. Some of you uh, hardcore Protestants are like, no, 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 there's no getting up. Salvation's by faith alone. Bartimaeus just needs to, Bartimaeus just needs to sit there and say, I believe I'm not going to do anything. That's not how it works. 
salvation is by faith alone. But if you think that that means that there's no good works after that, you are badly misunderstanding salvation by faith. Read Romans 2, St. Paul. Read James chapter 2 and 3, uh, James, St. James. Discipleship is always, because we've been accepted by faith, but, uh, through, by, by grace alone through faith, discipleship is always getting up and going for it. Not because we need to earn God's favor. That's already given to you in Jesus Christ, but because that's what discipleship is. The woman with the flow of blood, does she sit at home and say, I'm going to try and pray across to Jesus, Jesus says. No, she actually, against the laws of her own culture, climbs into a crowd of people who, if she touches them, she'll make them unclean, weaves her way through the, cloud, through the crowd, and grabs onto Jesus, making him ceremonially unclean. You know why she does that? Because discipleship goes for it. Discipleship get up, gets up and goes for it. And that's what Bartimaeus does. There's several vivid things here that point us to this. First of all, and we don't get this in our culture, verse 50. Um, uh, he throws off his cloak. He throws off his cloak. Several commentators I, I read made the very, very good point, I think, is that there's really no reason why anybody would be wearing a cloak in, in Jericho in just about any time of the year. It's abominably hot. You wouldn't wear a cloak. You would have a cloak with you, especially if you were a beggar like him, because the outdoors at night, it gets very, very cold in that climate. But during the day, it's brutally hot. Well, what we don't get in our culture, because this is not the way we do it, is that beggars in their culture would use their cloaks to spread out underneath them as they sit down to collect money, especially for a blind guy. Just throw the money on the cloak. He could feel the cloak, and at the end of the day, he would gather it up. So when Mark makes the interesting, he gives us the interesting detail, which he doesn't always give us details, but when he does, it's interesting that the guy abandoned his cloak. What Mark is saying is that all that that guy had, he gave up. He gave up. This is another one of those points where Mark is making the point that this guy gets discipleship in ways that the people who should have gotten it don't. This guy is the opposite of the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler lacks one thing, and that is he doesn't lack anything, and he can't lose it. He just can't lose his money. He can't give it up, so he can't follow Jesus. This guy has basically no money, but what money he does have, because he hears the voice of Jesus, is willing to give it up. Similar thing, I just read this to you a few minutes ago. Uh, you know, Jesus' interesting question, uh, what do you want me to do for you? Now, so, so you have to have a long memory, because we looked at this text back in February, but the, the, the passage right before our passage, verses 35 through 45, Jesus, Jesus asked the same question of James and John. Do you remember the story? James and John come to see, see Jesus and say, hey, can we talk to you? And Jesus says to them, exact same phrase in Greek and English here, what do you want me to do for you? Do you remember James and John's answer? Hey, whenever you become the Messiah, can you make us like the two most powerful people in the world underneath you? What do you want me to do for you? James and John don't get it. They should get it, and they don't get it. The kingdom's not about power. It's about weakness. The rich young ruler should get it, but he doesn't get it. For him, the kingdom's about money. But, but Bartimaeus gets it. I don't need this money anymore because I got Jesus. He jumps up, and he leaves it behind. Why does, why, why does he do that? Is it because he's just this self-sacrificial, like, I embrace the life of poverty because, you know, my poverty is what tortures me into a closer relationship with God. No, he knows that the guy who can heal his sight is the guy who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows that the guy who can heal his sight owns all the money in the universe. And what's the five bucks sitting on his cloak to him when the guy right over there who's calling him has all the money in the universe? He gets up and he goes for it. Here's one more way that this comes out in this text. Look at verse uh, 46. 
They came to Jericho. This is going to take a few minutes, so just hang with me. Two or three minutes. They came to Jericho, and as, he, as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. He's sitting by the roadside. Do you guys, uh, well, let me just tell you the end of the story, and then, then I'll explain that. So here at the beginning of the story, he's sitting by the road. Literally, in Greek, it's just the road. Go down to the very last verse, verse 52. Bartimaeus gets healed. Immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the, in the Greek, it's just the same word, followed him on the road. So Bartimaeus starts off on the side of the road outside Jericho. By the end of the story, he's following Jesus on the road. What's the significance of that? Okay, so again, long memory. I hope you have. If not, I'm about to remind you. Have you noticed in all these stories we've been reading from Mark 8 through 10 that Jesus is on a road? And it's a very, very specific road. He's leaving Galilee. He's coming down on the, um, the, uh, the east side of uh, Judea, and he's going to come up through Jericho up into Jerusalem. And you can track this by, by the different location names. Go back and read Mark, Mark 8 through 10. At one point he says, you know, Mark says, and now he's outside the Jordan on the east side of, on, on the, now, now he's outside of the Jordan on the east side of Judea and makes little comments like that. Well, and frequently he's telling people, do you remember? He's like, follow me on the road. Like I'm on the road, rich young ruler, come and follow me. And he couldn't do it. What's the, what's the significance of the road? Why is Jesus on the road? All right, there's three answers to what Jesus is doing on the road. And they're all three the same answer for Jesus, but the disciples don't think of it like that. So the first reason he's on the road is it's Passover and everybody's on the road. Everybody's leaving Galilee to come down to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And Jesus, have you noticed that too? That there are always these great crowds around and all these stories that we've been reading, like there's Jesus, his disciples, the person he's dealing with, and then the crowds gather around. What is that? Like, is Jesus like just got this massive crowd of groupies? No, it's actually, he's been in a crowd this whole time. And the closer they get to Jerusalem, the more people are filtering into this crowd as they go up for the Passover festival. Two, here's the second thing that he's doing. Jesus is definitely doing this. His disciples believe he's doing this, although they don't know, they don't understand the mechanics of it. Jesus is going up to start the revolution. Jesus is going up to kick off the final revolt against the enemies. Now the disciples, Jesus, he's all in on that. The disciples are all in on it too. What they think it is, is a military fight they're going to. They think we're about to attack the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the Roman garrison who's stationed at Caesarea, who almost certainly is going to come up to Jerusalem when they hear that we've started this battle. We got to be ready to fight them. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that everybody's like to Bartimaeus, like, be quiet. You want to take a blind guy into battle with you? Look, we don't need you right now, man. We need strong, manly men to go up here for the fight. Just sit there and be quiet. We'll deal with you someday if the kingdom comes. We can come back and, and, and throw you some coin. The third thing that Jesus is going up there to do, which nobody gets yet, even though in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, he said it three times, I'm going up there to die. And I'm going to rise from the dead, but I'm going up there to die. All three things are the same for Jesus. It's the Passover. It's the final great exile event. It's Exodus come back to life. It's the enemies of God drowned in the flood and the people of God establishes a free people. He's going up there to kick off the revolution. I'm going up there to win. I'm going, I'm going up there and when I'm done up there, I'm going to be the king of the universe. And he's going up there to die. That's the road that he's going on. And when Bartimaeus says, I'm on that road with you, what he's saying is, is that I am going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. I am buying into this story. This man is going to go up there and die on the cross to liberate everybody, not, not merely from the Roman Empire. That's, again, that's surface stuff. That's the kind of thing we pray for. God delivers from the Roman Empire. But the big boogeyman, 
that the Roman empire uses is sin, death, and the devil. That's the thing that we should be scared of. And that's the thing that Jesus says, once I knock that out, you can forget about the Roman empire. They're powerless. That's what I'm going up there to do. And I'm going to die. I'm going to let them kill me. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise from the dead to make all of this real and new and fresh. And what he says to his disciples, come and follow me. And they don't get it. But even though they don't get it, they still stay on the road with him. What he says to the rich young ruler, come and follow me, he doesn't get it and he won't come on the road with him. And what he says to Bartimaeus, who has nothing to offer except I just want to be with you, come and follow me, they buy into it. And that's discipleship. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to make a little, and please understand what I'm saying. I don't want, I don't want to take away anything that I've said, A, about the death and resurrection of Jesus being the heart of the power of the gospel, and B, salvation being by grace through faith alone. But I do want to make this point, and I want to make it super clear, is if church, if Jesus' life is for you, check in on Sunday morning, then you are not being a disciple. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but there's more to this. It's possible that Bartimaeus could have said, I believe in Jesus. Like like the rich young ruler, I believe in Jesus. I'm on his side. Jesus, I'm rooting for you. Like, go to Jerusalem, do your thing, man. Come back here and let me know how it goes. Maybe you can let me have a little, you know, a little money here when you get back. I'm rooting for you. I'm a Jesus guy. That's not what Jesus wants, though. Jesus wants Bartimaeus to get up off his butt and follow him. Not because he needs to earn his favor, but because Jesus already called him and gave him his favor. And that's what Jesus is doing for you guys. He has called you. He has connected you through baptism by faith into his son, Jesus. His death and resurrection now apply to you, and you have all the riches of the universe. And we show up at Sunday morning and fill out the guest register and put some money in the envelope and say, yes, I've done it. And I hope, I pray that it's just ignorance on our part because he wants so much more. He wants all of your life to be church. When you get up and you go to work, he wants it to be church. When you heat up your oatmeal in the microwave in the morning, he wants it to be church. When you're watching TV at night with your family, he wants it to be church. When you go to the ball game and watch the neighborhood, neighborhood kids play basketball, he wants it to be church. Every single step of the way is the road. It is the road and it always leads from it. It always flows through and it always comes out of Jesus' death and resurrection. Let's get on that road. Not because we need God's favor, but because he's already given us his favor. Stand with me and let's pray then we'll have communion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Uh, We thank you so much for being such a great God and for loving us. And we thank you for that call that we who are blind and lame and not with hardly anything to offer you have called us by name and have united us to yourself and have given us all your gifts and have not just like called us onto this road, but you've actually made us your children. Father, help us to be disciples. Help us to be followers of you. Help there not to be one second of our life that's not church. Help us there not to be one square inch of our property, one square inch of this creation that we walk on that's not church, that's not worship space, that's not worship time. God, make us your people for your glory, Lord, in your mercy. Father, thank you for healing the blind. Spiritually, physically, thank you for being the God who fixes everything. And there's lots of us now right, right, right here this morning, Father, with physical ailments, with financial ailments, with mental health issues, with social breakdown, relationships that are suffering. Father, would you fix these things? Son of David, have mercy on us. Give us our sight back. Pray especially this morning, Father, that you would be with Ryan, friend of Chuck and Debbie's, who's in the ICU right now with COVID. 
We pray that you would pour strength and energy into his soul and in his body. Pour oxygen into his body. Give him healing and health and bring him home, Father. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray this morning for your church all over the world. We pray specifically for our sister LCMS churches in the area that as your word is preached and your sacraments enjoyed and hymns of praise are sung to you that your Holy Spirit would sanctify sinners, uh, bring the lost to you. We pray for also for all of our Bible-believing uh, brother and sister churches in this area. May all of us together, may we see your kingdom grow. Father, may your gospel be slowly inching its way all, all, over, this, uh, uh, all over this town, all over Glen Carbon and Edwardsville. May the Bartimaeuses that live out there, may they get their sight back. May the road to and through and from your cross and empty tomb, may it be peopled not just by us, but may it be a gathering crowd growing, slowly swelling into a massive amount of people. May your kingdom cover Glen Carbon and Edwardsville for your glory. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray all these things because you did call us sitting beside the road. Orphans, helpless, broken, nothing to give but our sinfulness. You called us by name. You said, get up and follow me, and you made us your daughters and sons. And now we come to you as those daughters and sons with all the boldness that children have when they ask their parents for anything. And we come to you asking you that you would answer these prayers according to your will. We pray this in the name of our brother Jesus. Amen. Confess with me, if you can, the words of our faith in the Nicene Creed. This is in your bulletin. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood 
shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Turn around, or don't turn around, go to your side or to the front, and find somebody that you haven't talked to recently, not because you're trying to be a nice person, but because communication within the body of Christ is how we experience the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace. Go in peace.